0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, Welcome to our fifth episode of Composers in Quarantine Drinking Cocktails. I'm here with uh, trombonist and composer, Nick Finzer, uh, leader of the Nick Finzer Sextet, professor at the University of North Texas and the owner, founder and creative director of Outside In Music, uh, which is, as I understand it, more than just a record label that features the up and coming (laughs) artists in the New York City and Los Angeles scene. Uh, so we'll talk about all of that and more and Nick Finzer, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah. Thanks Steven. Glad to be here. My first question for everybody is always, uh, what are you drinking?
1: Well, I, my cocktail of choice is a, is a vodka soda and Steven was guilting me about the size of this one, but, uh, we are in quarantine. So, uh, I, you know, what better time to get started than right now.
0: Cheers to that. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, Nick, I, I think that, that you have, like, such an interesting and, and unique perspective on writing. Um, seeing as you obviously lead your own group, you've had your own group for many years. Um, you you went to Juilliard in New York City. Um, and in addition to your your work as a leader, you've also played in, in many big bands, whether it's, you know, Daphnis Prieto or whether it's leading guest artist, uh, guest artist, um, being a guest artist with a, with a university and playing your own charts, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to your writing for small group, which in my opinion is is very much leaning towards <clears throat> a sort of chamber jazz um, vibe uh, in a lot of your your works, especially on on your latest album. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's just dive right in and and start okay. talking about some writing. Maybe you can tell us about some stuff off of your latest record and and your your general approach.
1: Um, Yeah, sure. So the latest record is called Cast of Characters. And I have been had been thinking more about trying to write tunes that had a more of like what you were saying, a chamber jazz kind of feeling to them because some kind of compositional through line as a as a, a challenge to myself and as a kind of mix it up from the last couple of records that had been. A little more like here's a jazz tune here's a jazz tune here's a you know i'm putting together a set of music that kind of flowed together but didn't have necessarily any connection to to one another so um my main composition teachers from undergrad were definitely from the brookmeyer maria schneider kind of whatever lineage of of kind of deconstructing ideas and reconstructing them in different ways and so i decided to take a triad pair and a D and a D flat triad pair and uh, just see how many different ways I could put it together. And uh, I know that's a very nerdy and specific thing, but uh, that that little idea generated the whole album. So it was a kind of a, just like a personal challenge for me. And uh, you know, there's just, I had, as, you know, I put out a lot of records and I hear a lot of stuff that comes in and it's so much of it is the same. It's just tunes and people playing and I love doing that too, but I just wanted to try to make something that had a little bit more, No, this song has a bass clarinet solo because it needs to have a bass clarinet solo and it needs to have this and, and not necessarily just being like, All right, whatever happens, happens and it can be loose and open and trying to be a little bit more, um, decisive as a composer like no it has to be this because I wanted to feel like this and just actually trying to own I guess that uh, role as a composer in a small group rather than just like ah, it's whatever you know do whatever you want so trying to balance those two uh, things in my small group has writing in particular has been a challenge for me wanting all the uh, players to give all of their input and give all of their personality but also try to be assertive and create something specific with my, uh, with my music. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the general idea. <laughs> I went into the record, but, uh, uh, yeah,
0: that's cast of characters, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, that idea of being, you know, maybe these aren't the best words, but being so, so specific and so more or less like a little bit rigid with your music, um, to kind of make sure that the point that you want to get across, um, of the piece, you know, the heart and soul of the music, Um, Even though you're not obviously soloing all the time, Um, you know, for for instance, on the bass clarinet solos on on this record, I know you're featuring Lucas Pino and Lucas Mm -hmm. has such a unique voice on, you know, on the saxophone and on the bass clarinet as well that you want to let Lucas be Lucas, but you also want to let Lucas be Lucas, but help you tell your story.
1: Right. Yeah, it's definitely something, I mean, my biggest compositional influence, uh, whether or not it comes through in my music, is probably Duke Ellington. And, you know, the, one of the huge part of that parts of that influence is that writing for people, you know, the writing for players, not just writing for um, bass clarinet or for alto saxophone. It's actually for a you know, someone that has a certain sound, you know, and the more I get into that, the more when I look for subs, I don't even look for necessarily someone that plays the same instrument all the time anymore. Like, I just think about, I'm kind of like, well, who could fill that personality? You know, like who, maybe it's actually like a trumpet or maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's not a tenor sax player, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, let's rewind for a second, because you also said something super interesting, which is that you based your, your, your whole um, album off of the idea of having a D flat and a D major triad pair. Um, <clears throat> so for, for, for people who are listening, who maybe don't know what a triad pair is, like a, a triad pair is basically two, two triads grouped together, sometimes from the upper structure of a chord, sometimes just two independent triads. And for people who do know what triad pairs are, then maybe what you're thinking of right now is like Jerry Braganzi, Michael Brecker, like getting up into those kind of augmented, or I should say just like out, harmonically out um, uh, triad pairs. But, but what you've sure. done is that you've actually taken a triad pair and you use that as the basis for your whole album. And with that information, you were able to provide your bandmates and just the music in general, uh, the landscape. Uh, to present like the personalities, the stories that you wanted to tell. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how you kind of like. F- first of all, like why did you use D flat and D major? Or is, is there a reason? It, you know, I don't know. Like you know, they're a chromatic half step away. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, like how do you kind of like take those? You know, you 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 keep using the word personality. Like how do you how do you like shift and and mold rather? How do you mold those triad pairs to? insert the personalities of the different characters you know because because cast of characters like you know for people who haven't listened to it yet right it's kind of like six vignettes of yep of uh, t- where where each song tells the story of uh a, a character of, of a person an imaginary person
1: right yeah so i mean th- the big thing about that was i i mean i did steal it i'm not uh I'm just like every other composer that just steals stuff, all right. Often, right? Yeah. Now. So what's that quote?
0: I, it's like, good composers borrow, yeah. great composers steal. Yeah, exactly. I
1: forget they <laughs> said that. But. Yeah. So I definitely stole it from something I heard Chick play. I forget what it was on. What was it on? What was I transcribing? Uh, I don't even know. It was like the last chord of something he played, and it was like it was just. I'm like, what was that? And then when I transcribed it, it was it was just that, but that those two tries, but in a weird. Like, I understood it as those two triads. Mm. I don't know what he thought it was. It was the notes, D, F sharp, A, D flat, F and A flat in some kind of combination. And it's always fascinated me as a brass player, you know, like harmonic series has always fascinated me. Right, for sure. And like... uh, Especially as a trombonist. Yeah, as a trombonist and also playing in the Gil Evans project and hearing like of of these Gil Evans things with this f- these flutes like playing like in a weird key, like really high and it like yeah. splits in in this weird, crazy way. Right. So it's always been kind of interesting. So anyway, so that's where it came from. I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let me see. But <clears throat> the idea with like breaking it apart and putting it back together again is like, you know, that that D flat triad could be on top. The D triad could be on top. Any of the notes could be the bass notes. It could be just the relationship of a half step. There was a. I kept a kind of very loose... Uh, approach to like however it could be combined together to just to allow me to create I really tried to create from the mood and personality first in this case it's not always the case when I write music but and I kind of like how it happened better so I think I'll probably stick with that idea but uh, just thinking about like oh when I play this sound what does it make me think of you know what does it remind me of when I shift it in these ways can I make it feel romantic or can I make it feel kind of unsettled or these different kinds of feelings you know and so combining those with what how i know that certain people play like you know lucas has a kind of an an ability to um kind of play with a lot of um, uh, inflection i guess or a lot of I don't know, bending and stuff. And on the bass clarinet in particular, that not, you know, it's just kind of like in between notes and kind of like very vocal, vocally sometimes. And so I knew that he could do that. And so there's a certain piece, there's one tune on there called Brutus. And so I was like, all right, he's not going to play over the form. He's just going to play as this kind of counter character to the main idea, kind of, you know, the it's a, it's a piece about people being two-faced, basically. Be, you know, Brutus. Of course, the, the, the Caesar. Yeah. So uh so it's like... You know, the band is on one side and then Lucas is on the other, and kind of keep it having that like duality between these two grooves that kind of come back and forth in the tune. So, I don't know, that's kind of how I think about it grouping like the strengths of certain people and like the sounds that they can create with the idea of that like overall vibe of the tune, for lack of a more specific way to put it. I don't know if that answers your question.
0: No, I you know actually I'm not even sure if it answers my question either, but that's so <laughs> cool. Also it's just it's just awesome to hear you you talk about it. I mean, I think that that you raise an interesting point which is that like you're not always having to make music out of music, right? You're able to take a vibe and then you can kind of for more for you know, for lack of better terms create um right that like the context like the whole story you know or the, at least the basis for the story um rather than you know start messing around with an idea and then arrive and say oh you know what this sounds like it's, the, <laughs> it's this
1: yes i've had that experience too many times and i've accidentally rewrote somebody else's tune so.
0: right yeah <laughs> for sure i mean it kind of brings up an interesting point because i think that when you write with that kind of intention you know even though you might fail on, uh, you know, of course, like, you know, this, this, I think is just as valid for experienced composers as it is for younger composers. But when you're, when you're writing something with that kind of intention behind it, it's, it's highly possible that you will fail, but that's totally okay. Because all that that means is that when you do succeed, that success is completely intentional and not accidental.
1: Right. Yeah. I I mean, even for this record, I wrote like, 12 or 13 of these characters and there's six six of them are on the record so it was like definitely exactly that I was trying not to like judge the process too much and just kind of like here's a possibility here's a possibility here's a possibility here's the thing here's the thing and just kept keep writing and keep writing and keep writing and so then the best ones will you know rise to the top and then the other ones I don't know maybe there'll be something maybe they just sit there
0: right time will tell mm-hmm
1: You never know when you're going to need something, (laughs) (laughs) right?
0: So, so tell us a little bit about how you kind of got into writing in the first place. I think that, you know, in this day and age, like, you know, it's just most people, uh, once they reach a certain point in their, in their careers or in their development, they, they hear an idea, they write it down, you know, they've written a song, they're a composer, right? But, but to make that shift, that jump from being like a, you know, a, a hobbyist composer, I mean, that's a horrible way to say it. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) by making that shift from from being like a part-time composer to being okay I have my own project like I'm calling the same band every time I'm giving these people opportunities to tell my story in a consistent way like you know that's a jump that I think happens so so I think it's always interesting you know different people from different instruments different backgrounds they have they have each their own perspective. So, so my question for you as a trombonist, you know, you've always, I, I was always jealous of the trombonists. I'll be totally honest because uh, from my perspective, like I was a pianist, I am a pianist. I even still today look in my own band and I see the trombonist sitting in the middle of the band. They can hear what's happening behind them. They can hear what's happening in front of them. And they have this like central, this central like oral space around them. And that's something that I've always been so interested by because some of my favorite composers, you know, Bob Brookmeyer being one of them, okay, arrangers, Nelson Riddle, both of them are amazing trombonists, you know. So so Nick Finzer, my question for you is like, as a trombonist, you know, when did you make that switch? How did you start writing? Like, what was your first
1: piece? Do you remember any of that? Uh, Well, I don't know what my first piece was. I know what my first tune was. I don't know what I don't know where don't know where to draw the distinction between right those two things. I was but, gonna make a note to ask you about that later. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have a good answer but I, I feel like there's it's just up to you probably to decide yeah this is something more than just a song but um, uh, I the first tunes that I ever that I wrote were like in high school the last two years or but definitely my senior year I started a, like a funk fusion band I had that for a while and so the, the, I remember writing tunes for that band that was like my first compositional outlet <laughs> and with no real reason other than like I didn't know any repertoire so I had to make up something to play so we had a group of people we played some random stuff I saw so that I remember as my first composition but um, I, I think that as you start to learn about jazz history and jazz trombonists in particular, you start to realize that all of them wrote, you know. J.J. Um, Johnson was a prolific L.A. you know composer, in addition to just being a great improviser. And, uh, you know, Curtis Fuller wrote tunes. Slide Hampton wrote a lot. Uh, he Slide Hampton has an octet, and obviously he did the Dizzy Gillespie big band for a while and wrote stuff for Maynard and... I think i just i felt like i don't know if it's something about the trombone being in the middle of the band or we have this like chip on our shoulder that uh we feel um we need to do more because we play trombone (laughs) (laughs) to be like relevant to the scene i don't know what what it is but um i don't know the trombonists just like tend to want to do that too i don't know it has to do with like the sonic range i mean yeah it's like we our instrument exists and it's pretty easy to write for you know like the range is pretty nice sounding and like until you get too high and that gets a little awkward but I don't know it's just uh and you grow up playing in like trombone ensembles all the time like trombone choir was a big part of my life growing up and so uh, I got it I mean I got into writing tunes because I wanted to have a band basically and so I started writing tunes and then during college, I wrote tunes to work on stuff. Basically, uh, I, mm. would be like, "Oh, I don't understand what melodic minor modes are. I'm going to write some tunes that are melodic minor modes." And then, um, and then when I decided to not have that that fusion band anymore, and I wanted to have like a straight ahead project, then it was like, "Oh, I need to like write more tunes." And so I started definitely as a tune writer, not a composer, 100. percent And then I thought I'd never write for big band and all of this kind of stuff. But um, one thing led to another, and I just. Um, I don't know, there's something that I think probably most composers can agree with is that when you think so- something is just gonna sound okay and then it actually sounds really good and you just get hooked on that like feeling of like, oh wait, I, I came up with that. That sounds pretty good and I like that. I mean, the opposite is also true. There's plenty of times where you're like, oh, this sucks. The opposite is more true, At this in my case. <laughs> no, totally for me too. It's like, oh, that was awful, okay, well, but uh, yeah. So and then as I've gotten older, I've realized how much your improvisational voice and your compositional voice are basically almost the same. They're, they're interlinked in such a way that it really is just like that is your musical personality. And so I have my students get into composing. I try to get them into it in order to unlock like what their voice is as an improviser. Like, what do you want to play? Like they're like because they learn all of the, you know repertoire of scales and this and that. But I'm like, well, yeah, that's fine. But you don't sound like you're playing what you want to play. What do you want to play? Like, what do you hear? Like, I don't know. It was just like F7, I play diminished scale, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Well, let's let's like take a step backwards and let's say, okay, let's write something. And so I, I sometimes I put them through a sequence of like writing for situations and sometimes I just want them to write a tune. But um, I, I just, I find that they're inextricably linked, you know. The, the improvisational voice and the composer voice so and i just feel like at least for trombonists the ones that were great composers were also great improvisers um so i don't know either they're somehow links together and uh so i I've, I've used them to kind of go back and forth to kind of work on improvising to extend my technique in my ears so that i can hear more when i'm composing and vice versa because i definitely don't hear triad pairs like when i'm Improvising, I can't really. Even now, after recording that whole record and touring the record, I still can't really play all of the little things that I tried to like work out for improvising with those two. That like those six notes, like I, they're it's, like pretty awkward sometimes. And uh, so, anyway, I'm still working on it. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um,
0: I think that's that's so interesting and so true that that one's voice as a as an improviser, <clears throat> as a soloist, is. Yeah, you said it perfectly. It's just inextricably linked um, with with your voice as a composer. Um, that's so interesting too that that you're able to notice. Um, what's that? Is that gin?
1: This is water. Sorry, I had to. I had to um, compliment one for the other. We <laughs> gotta stay hydrated, Stephen. Very
0: important hydration. Totally key. Um, where were we? Yeah. So, so, so you're so when you're working with students one on one, you're having them write tunes, and then you're sometimes noticing, okay, they're writing very differently. I, maybe I think that they want to sound a different way than they're actually improvising. Mm-hmm. So, what are some other steps to that process? Because I think we're we're starting to go down the road of you know advice for for young composers and also instrumentalists, and so maybe we can even take a, a more specific approach here, and. Um, you know, and how, how can how can somebody who who doesn't just want to compose, how can somebody who wants to play and compose kind of unite those two aspects of their musical identity?
1: I've, I've found this to be a helpful sequence. Um, I mean, it may, might not be helpful for all people, but I found it to be useful is to, to take them through like a series of things i mean i this is my whole approach to jazz education let me just preface it and say is that like i think that the most specific language is the you know bebop language hard bop language all this stuff like forty 50, 40s 50s 60s mm-hmm. early, early 60s and so i start there and kind of work outward from there with my students and try to work earlier and later and try to try to get an overview but so i try to take this kind of approach with composing as well to say like all right we're gonna take a blues and we're we're, we're going to try to put you into a frame so that you at least have. It's not just like write something because that can be a little bit um, challenging, daunting when you're like it could be anything. And then right, like empty a, bar lines, nothing scarier in the world. So I'm like, all right, no, it's going to be a blues, and I want you to write like r- write me a riff blues, and so then I'm like, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, go figure it out. You know, go find me some riff blues, and then you'll fit, and then you'll know what I mean, and then write like uh, you know, like a jazz blues like um, Tenor Madness or something where it's got like a phrase that changes with the chords. And then then, the third phrase is a little different. And then i do the same thing. Like, all right, now we're at me a bird blues. What does that mean? Okay, go investigate that, blah, 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 blah. So there's kind of a sequence of assignments. We do the same thing with rhythm changes. And then we do that with contrafacts over standards, do a couple and it starts to get them in the mindset of like, oh, I need to organize my thoughts at least as an improviser. And I find by the time they get through all that, they're starting to at least explore how to apply the sounds that they're learning in improv class or how to apply the sounds that they're learning uh, outside of, you know, whatever they're checking out or we're checking out in our lessons. Um, So I try to take them through that just kind of a guided sequence before having them just, like, write anything, just as, because most of my students, like, they don't necessarily write jazz tunes or jazz styles, so um, I just ask them to go through something like that and then we might if they're interested might go further but I find just getting some organization it, it gives you a light a, an insight into their what's missing you know you can be like oh you don't know you don't understand anything about how to use this tool you know the diminished scale or whatever altered scale whatever the thing might be it doesn't matter but you can say like oh this person is deficient at understanding how to play through two fives because they can't even write two fives when they have all the time in the world to figure out something cool to play they can't. Uh, f- they can't decide you know and it also shows about phrasing like you know one of the best master classes I ever saw for about phrasing was with Bob Brookmeyer he came to Eastman when I was there and uh, he came to our small group and he all he did was this he's like alright that was terrible you know whatever we play I don't even remember what we played but he was very you know aggressive personality <laughs> and he would be like do it again but when I touch you on the shoulder stop playing <laughs> so like we, everybody went around and played again and just when he would just touch them on the shoulder when, he, you know, he edited their phrasing. And it, it was just so interesting to think about, like, that, you know, like, I don't know, the, like the master of phrasing, and he always had an interesting way of phrasing. And right. Just changes everything. And so anyway, just uh, by doing these compositions, you can kind of see into the student's mind, like, do they have any sense of phrasing yet? You know, how, how can we connect you know the things that they're learning with the things that they're trying to play and the things they're trying to hear and at least doing it in a compositional environment helps them to um, put do it out of time and not be overwhelmed even though they might be overwhelmed anyway but uh, it gives them a chance at least and then sometimes from there we'll go into like writing etudes you know about like oh, if you could write the most killing solo that you can imagine what would it sound like you know stuff like that right just to try to connect your voice and then and then when they're like, "Oh, I don't know what to do for a sax solely, and I'm like, "Well, what would be killing? What would you hear on this that you would want to hear?" They're like, "Well, what do you mean? What am I? Aren't I supposed to do something?" I'm like, "I don't know. Why don't you just write something that you want to hear?" And they're like, "Oh, okay, uh, interesting." So anyway, it's more about just like to me posing questions that they hadn't considered maybe, then uh, and just kind of guiding them through okay. it. I think you got to figure it out for yourself, and you have to if you want to compose, you have to spend a long time just sitting by yourself and. Kind of figuring some stuff out yeah
0: live alone and like it learn learn to live alone and like it
1: it's <laughs> so true
0: right wow well that was awesome nick um your your students are very lucky to have somebody who's so open and, and encouraging of of them to find their own path i think that that's an approach that that educators that you know i think it's so easy actually to teach um specifics and tools mm-hmm. and be like Oh, saxophone solo? Well, let's check out these double diminished or these passing diminished chords, you know? Uh, And without actually like figuring out like what that sounds like, what that feels like to listen to. Um, Mm Because you said it yourself, you got to write what you hear.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, there's resources to be like, well, I don't know how to harmonize this. Then I'll send them, like, go check out this book. But you're waiting for for,
0: for the questions. You're waiting for the the inspired questions that, that the students have arrived at on their own. I need this information, they say. You say yeah. here's where you can get this information. You don't say, okay. Well, here's all this information. Um, now eat it up. You know. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good good luck. luck. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> see you at the see you at the concert.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.